and welcome to the Low Tox Life podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 16 and the start of a brand new month, November already. And you won't be getting anxious about that anymore if you listen to my fabulous chat a couple of weeks ago with gorgeous Kelly Exeter, a dear friend and a wise sage when it comes to all things beating the feelings of overwhelm. Now today I have another wonderful soul on the show, Michelle Chevelli-Hedge. She is a passionate nutritionist is so, so uh, committed to getting results for her clients. And uh, I've asked Michelle on the show to actually talk about hormones, just to give everybody out there who hears hormones bandied about, but we kind of reduce them to thinking it's just sex hormones, like estrogen gets talked about a lot, of course. Um, But we've got to think of our thyroid, our stress hormones, and quite a few in between and Michelle is going to demystify one by one what each of them are and what sometimes the symptoms might be when one of those, if not all of them, are out of whack as well as a whole bunch of practical advice on what to do if they are out of whack. And we all know that it could be food that brings them out of whack, it could be things that we're putting on our skin, stuff we're breathing in in our indoor environment, it could be anything. Uh, And at the end of today's chat, I guarantee you, you will feel a lot more empowered to have a conversation with your practitioner around the subject of hormones, having thought a little bit about yourself and whether that might be an issue for you. If it's not, it's always great to know this stuff because it's not alarmist or um, OCD to be learning about things that you don't have issues around. It's just great common knowledge to know more about how your hormones work, what makes them tick, what makes them get thrown out of kilter and what we can do to ensure we have super healthy hormones and hormone balance in our bodies. So being that today is a brand new month, I actually am really excited to bring back a show partner that we had right at the start of the show in some of our earlier episodes, Etitude. Uh, They are an organic bamboo lyocell bedding company and you have the whole of November to make the most of getting 10% off. Now, what I love about what seems like a small uh, discount is actually quite a big one given they're around 30 to 40% less expensive than leading luxury bedding as it is because they don't have any store points. So they ship direct to you, sell direct to consumer, and that way they're able to save and deliver you an unbelievably gorgeous product for a really wonderful price. So making the most of that extra 10% off with your sleep better code from today's show notes, which you can always find at lowtoxlife forward slash podcast. Uh, and, you know, treat yourself to something in the in the lead up to whatever you might be celebrating, gift giving at the end of the year, perhaps, you know, you could earmark these for yourself if you want some, some gorgeous luxury sheets to sleep in. I always say, you know, why not give it to your husband or why not give it to your wife? Because that way you both win when it comes to good sheets. So uh, I have spoken a lot about them in the past, but I will just mention a couple of things that they are GOTS certified one of the highest certifications around ethical treatment of farmers, production and distribution, which is a really wonderful certification to identify when you're out there buying clothes or or sheets. And there are no harsh chemicals used. I love the closed loop water system where they recycle water up to 200 times 
and just a whole bunch of other stuff I love about them. For people, for planet, you don't have to ditch luxury if you want to do right by the world. You can actually, thanks to so many innovative brands these days in the beauty and lifestyle spaces, you can absolutely have something gorgeous and natural for people, for planet that uh, doesn't cost you the earth and uh, and is, is just good. So enjoy this month's offer. And as I said, all the details are in the show notes. So without further ado, I'm going to kick right into my chat with Michelle Chevelli-Hedge, nutritionist from A Healthy View, and you've got all of her details as well in the show notes, including a couple of the top takeaways from today's show. Enjoy. Hello, Michelle. How are you? I'm really good, Alex. Thanks for having me on today. It is so great to have you here. Now, you are obviously a nutritionist and a wonderful one and an author of uh, one book that already exists, obviously, Beating Sugar Addiction for Dummies, which is fabulous, but also another one around the corner, which is Hormone Happiness. And today, we're going to treat today's chat like a bit of a hormone school so that all of us out there can get a really good handle on what some of the major hormones are and what roles they play in our body. But before we kick into doing that, uh, can we just hear a little bit about how you came to be doing the work you do today? What was your your calling around nutrition and clinical practice? Oh, so many callings, Alex, but I suppose the first one is being born into an Italian family. Uh-huh. My mother's name, maiden name is Ciccarello. My father's uh, last name was French. Everything in my life has always been about food. And so like most women, always fighting a battle of um, food and um, mood and self-esteem and energy. And I worked in the corporate workplace for many, many years uh, for Microsoft as a, as a marketing manager, always traveling, always wanting to get healthier, um, but definitely not wanting an extreme approach. And um, after I had my third baby, I thought, you know what, I need to do what I really want to do. And I wanted to become a GP. And I started studying nutritional medicine. And I was like, this is where I need to be. I don't need to be a GP. I can use food as medicine. And I can combine my practice and my work with other GPs and other specialists. And I can be in the space that I feel is what is most needed in today's climate, a combination of Western medicine and good nutrition. Mm. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because I've had a similar uh, thinking. I always used to get nicknamed Dr. Alex at school. I was always that person that people went to when they were like, oh, Alex will know what I need to do. What what should I do? So I, I, for a while, thought, you know, maybe I need to to aim for medicine, but then I absolutely sucked at science at school. It (laughs) just was not me. And it's so funny how you said, you know, you started dipping your toe in the water with nutrition and thought this is exactly where I want to be within the wellness space and for me it's very much as soon as I started to deal with the psychology of change and how to feel great about change as opposed mm. to you know all the guilt and failing and all the stuff that that we're as women we'll yeah do that. of course <laughs> yes. that's where I thought oh my gosh that's where I need to be I don't need to be a naturopath a nutritionist a doctor or anything mm-hmm. like that there are so many incredible people who do those things that I can work with 
as a coach. And so I think it's just beautiful mm. when people really tap into exactly where we're most helpful and we feel that sense of purpose. Absolutely. And Alex, you know, our industry needs more people like you to be getting the word out. We're good at doing what we are good at doing, mm. but we're not good at podcasting. We're not good at social media. You know, I always say that all the time. I'm only good at nutrition. I know nothing about nothing <laughs> in the world except nutrition. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so cool. So where do we start with this hormone school? Shall I just, uh, let's, okay, this is what we're going to do. I'm just going to name a hormone and I would love for you to just give us a little bit of background on each one as we go through and and then we'll start talking about symptoms and, and little clues that we get around our own experiences. Does that sound good to you? Absolutely, sure. And uh, I'll just say before we do that, Alex, the reason why I came up with this um, book, Hormone Happiness, Fix Your Weight, Mood and Energy with Your Fork, is because, you know, again, as women, we're super, super good at beating ourselves up and saying, oh, we've got lack of willpower and, oh, this is going, you know, and, and we're beating ourselves up when the reality is sometimes it's just rebalancing our hormones and getting them to work efficiently, which will create good energy, good moods, good weight. Um, so that's where this book manifested itself is after seeing thousands and thousands of women who are continually beating themselves up and not realizing they might have some kind of hormonal dysfunction. Do you think in your practice and, and with the people that you see, how many people have some sort of a hormone issue? Can you give us a ballpark on percentage? Oh, I would say 90% yeah. of women. And, you know, often when you use the word hormones, people think you're talking about menopause. This book and what we're going to talk about today is for any woman between the ages of 15 and 75. 90% of women that come to our practice would have some type of dysfunction, either with low energy, low mood, weight, some type of autoimmune. And they don't realize that really when one hormone goes off it can have a cascade effect on all the others yes ah mm. absolutely so i mean you know you you mentioned their happiness and and guilt and and feeling like we're, we're lacking willpower and and feeling down on ourselves should we start with serotonin yeah, let's start with serotonin. I love serotonin. Like, um, I, you know, one of the things I've mentioned to you before is I say it's like the Miranda Kerr of hormones, right? <laughs> Everyone wants more serotonin. And, and the reality is um, serotonin, we call it the happy hormone, but it's actually a neurotransmitter. Yeah. But for the sake of, of the book, I call, I bring in serotonin because it's so widely researched right now. And um, there's so many ways naturally we can increase our serotonin levels. So over the last 18 months, we've seen that when we clean up the digestive tract and we clean up what's going on in our gut and we reduce sugar, because sugar creates a lot of this candida and gut dysfunction, when we clean up the gut, we're also cleaning up these happy hormones and increasing them because 95% of our serotonin is made in our gut. Now, you know, you remember, Alex, years ago when people would say, oh, you know, she's 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 got anxiety, she's got depression, they'd sort of point to their head, mm. you know, as if all the serotonin was created in our head. And that is what people thought a long time ago because the impact of our serotonin is really on our brain. But 
what we know now is that it's created in the gut. And, and whilst we've got one out of four women in Australia suffering from some type of anxiety or depression, that is alarming statistics. The good news is, wow, we can fix that with our fork. If we change our dieting now, don't get me wrong, Alex, anxiety and depression is multifactorial. But one of the things that we can change and have control of is how we eat. Absolutely. So I just think that that's so exciting to think about. It really is. And, you know, you mentioned sugar and obviously it's something that you help people rein in. And I just, I always feel like whenever we make any statements on the show, I always like to pause and say, this is not vilifying any particular ingredient in a, a regular whole foods diet, but it is making a call, especially where sugar is concerned, to rein it in. Because at the moment, if you're an eight-year-old, you've eaten on average as a Western eight-year-old child as much sugar as someone had eaten in their entire lifetime a hundred years ago. And our bodies have not evolved at some sort of lightning warp speed to be able to cope with that and still be okay. So this is not about not having a piece of cake on the weekend at the party or shaming yourself if you have a really beautiful slice of something during the week, that's fine. We can handle a small amount every day, but we cannot handle it. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, always punctuating everything with a dessert. You know, that's what we can't handle. So Absolutely. And Alex, I I love that about you. And I love that the fact that you agree on that philosophy, because I am very much along the idea of low sugar lifestyle, not no sugar lifestyle. Mm. You know, we live in a modern world. You have children. I have children. I've got three children and a dumb dog. You know, (laughs) I get I get the fact that we have to occasionally um, pick up grab and go products and stuff like that. And I think if you try to put too much pressure on somebody and extract too many things, um, that's when people say, this isn't for me. But when we add in a lot of good and we say, hey, it's okay to have some some sugar. That's all right. Don't make it so extreme that you can't live in a happy place. Yes, exactly. Good. Beautiful. Uh, Mm -hmm. Okay. So serotonin, how are we going to go about, obviously, you know, cleaning up the gut is a pretty big thing. We could have probably a three hour podcast on on how one would go about doing that. Um, But can you give us a few small tips other than um, reducing the sugar in our diet? Are there other things we can add in? Absolutely. So when we talk about cleaning up our gut health and any of this dysbiosis that might be in our gut, creating candida and stuff like that, we think about, yes, absolutely reducing sugar. We also talk about just adding in really good quality fats, lean proteins, um, clean proteins, really not lean proteins, but clean proteins. And we also talk about adding in probiotic food. Now, when I talk and I write, Alex, I always like to remember that I'm talking to, you know, mainstream people like people like my parents or my father-in-law who you know if I say the word probiotic or prebiotic they go uh-oh kooky white <laughs> witchcraft stuff right so but I but but I I start to say to people don't be afraid when I say the word probiotic or prebiotic food because it's just really simple what we want to do is by adding in probiotic or prebiotic food is is we want to balance these good gut bugs so probiotic food would be things like 
yogurt, things like kefir, things like sauerkraut, right? So, so they're really just going back to old cultured foods. And if that's a little bit too funky for you, then perhaps take a probiotic. Mm. But prebiotic food, another great way to be cleaning up the gut because prebiotic food actually feeds the good bacteria, right? Mm -hmm. So that's things like garlic, leek, and onions. You know, those are simple foods to be adding to our meals every day. You know, every time before I make a, a pasta or an omelet or something like that, I'm just making eggs and onions and stuff like that. Use that as the base, as the starter. Throw it in a salad, throw it in a soup, throw in, you know, lots of things. Yeah, beautiful. So if we've got our serotonin humming and, you know, we're feeling good again, then there are, are there ways for us to have issues with some hormones and not others? Or is it always that one, when we work on one, we affect all others? Well, okay, let's let's start with the cortisol, um, the the cortisol hormone. Okay, right. Cool. So, so you know that would probably be the one, Alex, that most women, you know, I always say nutrition, exercise, and sleep are essential for for overall wellness. It's a three prong approach. And then I put up my other hand and I said, but here's stress on the other hand. And if stress is out of control, then it negates good nutrition, good exercise and good sleep because cortisol just is really defines the way all the other hormones work, the way our thyroid works, the way our insulin works, the way our estrogen, progesterone, and our sex hormones work. So we see stress hormone cortisol leading to infertility issues. We see the stress hormone cortisol blowing out people's thyroids. We, we see the stress hormone cortisol blowing out people's insulin hormone to the point where, Alex, people would look at blood pathology and go, ooh, wait a minute, this person's cortisol is absolutely crazy and their insulin is crazy. And then you ask them about their diet and their diet can be quite good, but because of their stress levels, their cortisol and their insulin is completely out of whack. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not from food, but just from stress. Now, if you put that together, that stress with a bad diet or a poor diet, no wonder we have a world of insulin resistant people, insulin resistant, pre-diabetic syndrome X, call it what you want. It's all basically the same. It's all blood sugar dysregulation. So, so let me show you the cascade, the knock-on effect of that, right? Yes, please. So, so you, so you get the cortisol, the cort, the so your adrenal glands are pumping because you, you know, you wake up in the morning, you get the dog off, get a cup of coffee, get the kids off to school, try to make it to a spin class, think about what your parents are doing, hit your KPIs or do whatever you have to do, and all day long we're going and we're going and we're going, and the adrenals pumping and the cortisol's pumping, right? So all of a sudden, then we do the blood pathology. We've got these crazy. Um, fasting insulin levels. We've got blood sugar dysregulation, creating all this chaos with our insulin. Then we have these young women. So stay with me on this. You know, you're visualizing this fast paced woman. Then we've got these young women who are these fast paced lives. And all of a sudden they go to their doctor and they say, gee, 
you know, I haven't got my period in a while and I'm really wanting to have babies. And, uh, and the doctor goes, okay, well, let's have a look at, let's do some blood profile on you. They do the blood profile and they go, gee, your insulin levels are crazy out of control, but guess what? Your testosterone is out of control. Oh, sorry, darling. You know what? Maybe you better go off to an IVF clinic because you have polycystic ovary syndrome. Mm. And, you know, Alex, it's absolutely heartbreaking how many young women that we see that are type A females that are going, you know, probably a bit like you and I, you know, we're not living in ivory towers. We're, we're you know, we're big in, at achieving goals and, and kicking goals and all that, right? So you see all these young women who are just going for it and trying to do the best that they can in their career and start a family and all this kind of stuff. And then they go, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, I cannot believe that you're sending me off to, to an IVF clinic. Um, you know, years ago when we talked about polycystic ovary syndrome, we would think, oh, dysfunction of the ovaries. Now, Alex, when we see polycystic ovary syndrome, we don't think pathology of the ovaries, we think, oh, gee, dysfunction of blood sugar glucose and insulin. Mm. Um, and and the, the, the good news on that side of things is that you get a really committed person to reducing their stress, to eating right, to plugging in lots of good fats, coconut oil, avocado, seeds and nuts, and replacing their highly carbohydrate diet and reducing their stress, you can change somebody's blood pathology and their whole entire future of with having babies in six to eight weeks. It's really quite amazing, isn't it? And it, oh, it's almost awesome. criminal that this isn't a very major part of the conversation of women's health uh, mm. in public health, I, I think. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, it has certainly come a long way since I started seeing a nutritionist slash naturopath myself, yeah. which was 12 years ago. And back then that was a really hippie woo woo thing to do, <laughs> which is yeah, crazy because it's so recent as well, but it was strange. And I did feel like it was a bit of a hushed tones conversation that I'd have to have. Mm. And yeah, I actually saw a naturopath. <gasps> um, <laughs> White witchcraft. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, suffice it to say that, the the results uh, were there when a, another area and avenue that I had explored had not worked for me. And I just thank the heavens above that I had the good sense to get curious and think, oh, I wonder what other options might be out there before I accept the fact that my um, practitioner just told me I may have early onset menopause mm. at the age mm -hmm. of 28. And um, yeah. lo and behold, yeah. six weeks later, I had a period. So I, I just want everybody out there to know uh, that what you have just talked about there with stress is very real and it is very much a cascade effect and we are not going to stop having this stress conversation with any guests on the show because there may be many health things that we cover but if we're not covering stress as the underpin or checking in with what your stress is in your life then there's no point because as you said you can eat a great diet but if the stress isn't um if the stress is a factor that's that then that's a big factor Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I have, you know, been in practice now, Alex, for about 10 years. I have never seen 
uh, greater ramifications of stress than I have over the last 18 months. And that is um, from any medical condition, whether you talk about it's a migraine, you talk about um, inflammation in the brain, inflammation in the thyroid, cardiovascular disease, digestive diseases. I think that stress is just absolutely enormous. And yeah, we cannot we cannot stop that conversation, Alex. We've got to keep that conversation going. How do we reduce it? How do we make sense of it? How do we create a balance? Absolutely. And I was recently talking to to someone for my membership club, Lotox Club, and yes. we were talking about uh, stress and also talking about the fact that it is possible to be a busy person who isn't stressed or who, yes. who that uh, the the sense of busyness isn't actually having a health impact a negative health impact because our brains can decide whether a situation is going to be viewed as negative or stressful or not maybe you've just got a lot on that day and it's actually possible to change your biochemistry and be okay with that which I find fascinating and it's something that Dr Libby talks about a lot in her work so uh, absolutely I, th- I think that that's such a good point mm. Alex because well I think both you and I will be examples of that we we are really excited about our jobs and our roles and we're busy but it's it's a good stress mm. and uh, and so we need that you know we need that balance of uh, we need that kind of stress to keep us busy and keep us purposeful. So, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Now, you mentioned insulin and let's put stress to the side, even though it's very important. But let's yes. just say there is just an insulin issue without stress. What is insulin and how do we keep it in check? Yeah, radio. Okay, so insulin governs um, so many things. But what the way I like to explain it is if people would think about um, on our cell, like a little round cell, just having an insulin receptor, like a slippery dip on your cell. So that slippery dip allows glucose to come into the cell, and that cell goes, Oh, thank you very much, glucose. You're so good for my brain and you're so good for my muscles. So so the fallacy, the, the myth about carbohydrates being bad for us is really a myth. I, we see people now going no carbohydrate, no carbohydrate, and all of a sudden leading now to what we're looking at is poor thyroid function. But when we, so, so when we're having some good quality complex carbohydrates, sweet potatoes, beets, pumpkins, quinoa, brown rice, all those great super sustaining carbohydrates, they break down to glucose, the glucose comes into the body, it goes to the insulin receptor, which is like the slippery dip, goes into the cell and the cell goes, oh my goodness, thank you so much. And um, I I think that that's an important message that people need to be hearing more is stop fearing carbohydrates. Our brains and our muscles really, really like them. If as women, we are really carbohydrate phobic and we're really trying to rein in our weight, then perhaps maybe not have an abundance of carbohydrates or very little carbohydrates in the evening. But certainly for breakfast and lunch, for anybody that wants their brain to be active and their bodies to be active, having a little bit of them, we know that our body really likes to utilize them as glucose. So, so okay, so go back to the insulin. So what's happening is the glucose through the insulin receptor, through the slippery dip into the cell, the cell goes, ooh, love you, love you, love you, love you, and is able to work really efficiently. Mm-hmm. However, if we're having lots of 
poor carbohydrates, bad carbohydrates, an abundance of carbohydrates and glucose, what happens is the glucose is going through the slippery dip and it's going through and it's going through and it's going through. And finally the cell goes, oh my goodness, I'm drowning in glucose. I'm <laughs> drowning in glucose. And so that slippery dip goes, I'm going to close up. I'm not letting you slide in anymore. So the glucose starts hanging around on the outside of the cell. Well, guess what then happens? It starts hanging around our belly mm. and then it starts hanging around our body in the form of fat, right? So our, our insulin is our fat storage hormone. And when that gets out of whack, lots of things symptomatically start appearing, Alex, to people. We see people that are going down insulin resistant path and they are really, really hungry people. And I, you know, it makes me really crazy and sad when I see this happen in our practice. When we see children coming in and the parents are going, I don't understand, Johnny, he's always hungry. Well, he's always hungry because biochemically what's happening, Alex, is when glucose is traveling into the cell, it doesn't just travel on its own. It travels with other nutrients. And when that slippery dip gets closed up, the glucose and the nutrients are sitting outside the cell. So the cell is literally starving and the body is hungry. You know, our bodies are so darn smart. So we have these people who are developing insulin resistant and they become incredibly hungry. You know, the kind of people that I say that they're always eating twigs, you know, they're eating white bread, they're eating cereal, they're hungry, you know, two hours later. So they're picking up a packaged muffin. They're having some fruit juice. They're having a smoothie made with, you know, lots of hidden sugars that they don't realize. And they're not punctuating their diet with lots of protein and lots of fat. Mm. Um, so, you know, those types of people, Alex, right, that are constantly eating there, you know, they're what I call, you know, twig eaters are just constantly eating. Yeah, it's kind of that vacuous snacks kind of vibe where you're getting, you're trying to aim to get full instead of getting nourished. And if we aim to get nourished, then there's less in a brain chat about looking for more stuff to eat. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. You know, people say to us all the time, Michelle, I cannot believe how much food you prescribe to us when we're doing a cleanse or we're doing a program with you. It's so much food that I'm afraid. In the beginning, I was so afraid. And and I actually now have lost weight and feel better than I've ever felt ever in my life, but I'm eating far more, much more food. And it's about the quality of food and not about the quantity of food. Mm. And, but I love that. I love when I say to people, you know what? Go ahead and have two chicken breasts if you need it, if you need to feel satiated. And people just look at me like <laughs> I have 10 heads. And they come back all the time and they go, this is unbelievable. I can't believe this. And uh, I love when that happens. I love when people all of a sudden really realize that food really, really can make a nutritional transformation, not only just in their physical body, but their mental health. And that just is, wow. Aren't we so winning when we can help people make, create the best version of themselves? Absolutely. So you're saying, I, I have to backtrack onto this two chicken breast yes. comment that you, okay. you slipped in there because I think there will be questions around this. So okay. are you saying that as long as it's good whole food, that when we sit down to, and correct me if I'm wrong here, three meals a day, 
for example, that we should eat until fully satiated, until we're not thinking, gee, I can't wait till the next time I can eat. <laughs> well, well, so, well, some of that is true, Alex. So what I'm all about is bringing back the love of food, right? And forgetting about any kind of calorie counting, protein counting, all yeah. that kind of stuff. I just think that that's absolute nonsense. And I know that you are and I are on the same page with that. But when we think about eating protein and good quality fats, if you think about this, Alex, or any of the listeners are thinking about this, it's really easy to eat a box of biscuits or cookies. It's really easy to eat a bag of jelly snakes, but it's not so easy to eat two chicken breasts, right? Because protein is quite satiating. Fat is quite satiating. And it turns on another hormone called leptin. So we're going to hear a lot in the news over the next 12 to 18 months about this beautiful little hormone called leptin and ghrelin, right? Mm -hmm. So leptin, I always think that we like leptin and because leptin begins with an L and we remember we like it. Um, so leptin is the signal that goes to our brain to say, hey, I'm satiated. And we know that an excess of fructose has some type of effect on leptin. Now, there's still a lot of research to be found in this area. But what we do know is that things like proteins and fats turn on these satiation signals in our body. So it's not as if we're going to eat an overabundance of food, Alex, because when we're eating things like coconut oils, avocados, things that have these beautiful fats in them, again, our brains go, whew, I've had enough. Mm. That felt really filling and feeling nourishing. Absolutely. And so we just don't need to be scared of eating those sorts of foods until we are fully full. I have that real correct. feeling of satisfaction. Great. Oh, Absolutely. I mean, I feel that really, Alex, I look at, you know, I was, when, when I'm at speaking engagements, I always say to people, you know, the 5-2 diet, the breatharian diet, the all vegetable diet, the, the all water diet. <laughs> you know, the reality is there is no diet in the world that is going to work the way eating clean, real, whole food most of the time. Now, we live in the real world, so sometimes we have to do grab and go and, you know, package food. But if we are eating that way most of the time, we are winning and we are then not having a highly processed, highly sugared diet. Brilliant. Now, you mentioned ghrelin there, and I think that's a newer one for people to be talking about. Can you just give us a little bit of background on what that guy is and what he's responsible for? <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't want too much ghrelin because we like leptin because that turns off the signal. Ghrelin will heat up the signal. Ah. Um, and, and I think a lot of the research, you know, I, I love research, Alex, right? I'm, I'm crazy about research. And so what we know is a lot is in the same way that we can get insulin resistance, mm -hmm. we're going to see lots of functional medicine doctors or nutritional medicine practitioners like myself testing for what we call leptin resistance. So actually we have, I have quite a few patients that we do now do blood pathology to test for leptin resistance because when we're looking at these patients, it looks to us like their ghrelin is just out of control and that they've got no mechanism that actually turns off their appetite. Mm -hmm. So when we look at leptin being out of control or ghrelin being out of control, we sometimes we, if we look at people's past histories and they might've had 
had an eating disorder um, previous in life that's affected the way those hormones are functioning in their body. We also know that leptin um, and increasing the way that the leptin is working also has to do with our sleep as well. So another reason why I always include, you know, sleep is as important as our nutrition and exercise. Ah, so is that why when we get a really bad night's sleep or sleep too little, we're much more inclined to reach for the potato chips? Well, it'll be interesting, Alex. I mean, that is certainly the case. Is is the evidence pointing to it's it's leptin completely responsible for that? We're doing more and more research in that area. I would say that we're going to find out that leptin is a big part of that being overtired and then just having the munchies, being emotionally unstable the next day. And when we're like that, when we're in that tired state, of course, we eat more, we exercise less and all that. That's a big cascade in itself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, interesting. So Mm -hmm. ghrelin, as long as we – so we need to be reducing our ghrelin levels. How do we do that? Well, we need to be – well, one of the things that we know is not as much research around ghrelin as we do about leptin, but we know that they're opposing hormones, right? Okay, yes. So what we know about leptin, and we do know this from the research, is that too much fructose – really affects our leptin levels. Mm -hmm. So whilst I am not against fruit at all, I believe two pieces of fruit a day for most average adults, you know, most children can probably even have a little bit more than that. The occasional mango that is high sugar, it's high natural sugars. You know, food is to be enjoyed, life is to be lived. But on a general day-to-day basis, I'm all about apples, pears, berries, highly antioxidant fruits. But when we see somebody that actually has leptin resistance, Alex, we'll actually take them off fruit for a little while and and just try to repair those hormones and bring them back into balance. In the same way that when we see somebody with really, really high insulin levels, we try to really, really back off even on some of the natural sugars. You know, not going to an extreme space, but just sort of just getting them back into balance. So, so it's a recalibration it, effect that we're going for here. And it's absolutely. hormone it, repair that's happening. And that is the clinical reason why you have a brief period in time, which in the, in the space of a lifetime, if you had to not have anything sweet for a month, it's actually not that long. Um, but the, it's actually serving a purpose to heal hormones that then can healthily respond to a couple of pieces of fruit and the odd piece of cake, no problems. Is that right? Absolutely. And so in in my book that's coming up, Alex, we talk about eliminating sugar and how that will affect serotonin and testosterone. We talk about increasing protein and fat and its effect on our insulin hormone. We talk about bringing fruit to about two pieces a day so it will help the leptin levels. We talk about all my two favorite, coffee and wine, and reducing them to, you know, having them a couple of nights a week, but only having one for the sake of a 28-day program. So when we reduce coffee, we know what what we're doing is we're affecting our cortisol and our adrenal hormones. When reducing wine, we're also reducing our cortisol levels as well as our adrenal function. 
when we're reducing thyroid, um, when we're increasing thyroid function, which again is a master hormone, particularly for our weight and our cognitive function, I like people to go off gluten for a little while. Now, that's a big ask coming from someone who's Italian and French, right? Yeah. You know, I grew up with a breadstick in my mouth. <laughs> so my, my parents would freak out if I, I was telling people that. But the reason why we do that, Alex, is we get people to come off gluten for a two-week period because, one, they probably never have done it. But, two, it's just to see how they can feel. Gee, has my tummy gone from flat tummy to puffy tummy for the last 10 years of my life with one piece of bread? Has my mind gone from sharp, clear attention focus to brain fog with a bowl of cereal and a, a banana muffin? We take people off gluten for two weeks so that they can see how their body reacts, so that they can connect their own dots. We know that research is showing Gluten and thyroid really don't like each other. One out of four women, Alex, in Australia have a subclinical thyroid condition. These people feel like they have anxiety, depression. They can't understand why they're gaining weight. They can't understand why they're puffy. They can't understand why they're retaining water. And we do one simple thing with them and we reduce their gluten or we take them off gluten. And they go, wait a minute. It's like a pinch just popped me. It's like the lights have gone on. So I, I don't like to discriminate against any food at all. We do this program so that people can connect their own dots and see what's feeding them. So we, so we do gluten to, to, to rebalance the thyroid function. We also, at some point during the program, we go meat-free. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't like to take discriminate against red meat at all. It's really, really important for our iron function, our, our B12 function, and, and what I call mental health hijackers, yes. which can be a whole other podcast, what we could talk about. But I like people to come off meat for a little while because this is often reducing estrogenic effects that are happening in the body. Um, and I also get people to come off dairy for a little while. Again, not that I'm against dairy, um, but also this is to reduce um, the abundance of growth hormones in our body just recalibrating all the hormones settling everything down to a nice balance then adding each thing back in slowly to see how the body reacts because if we come back onto food when we have a clean slate and we see how the body reacts see how the mind reacts we can go oh wow wait a minute my body really doesn't like that gluten or gee, my body works a whole lot better off of meat. So the whole thing is really about people connecting their own dots to how they feed themselves once their hormones come back into some balance. Great. And I think, you know, any kind of recalibration is a chance to reconnect with uh, ourselves and become self-aware. And uh, I think it's just a very useful tool for anyone who's experiencing any kind of symptoms of, of any kind, really. You know, food should be one of the first places we look. Food and stress. Yeah. Food, stress, sleep yeah. and get moving. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Isn't it wonderful, Alex? I get so excited about all this because, you know, we've got an epidemic of hormonal dysfunction going on, thyroid, you know, all these things that we've talked about today. But what I get so excited about is 
Disease state, states, hormonal dysfunctions are multifactorial. It could be toxins in the life. It could be environmental. It can be genetic. But one thing that we can control is our food and the way we feed ourselves three times a day, four times a day, five times a day. And it's so wonderful to me um, being in this space to see what kind of transformation we can make just with food. Uh, you said it so well. <laughs> Anything to add? It's so true. And, you know, again, I, it's so important to work with a practitioner on, on this sort of a thing if you're going to go down this road because the rabbit warren that is the internet, people, sometimes yes. it can be so confusing. I even just had a woman today, a, a mum doing one of my um, courses who who posted an article about almonds, uh, which was a very hateful article <laughs> all about oh. how disastrous almonds were for our oh. health. Um, and um, to the author's credit, the point was that there was an excess of almonds often consumed um, when people go gluten-free, for example, you start using, mm -hmm. you know, or low carb, so you want to use nut flours. But really, we, we can be sent into states of panic over the smallest of things that we might come across on the internet. And it's really important if you don't have your own critical thinking processes or enough of a knowledge base to, to pass a true judgment on what you do read it online, yes. to be working with a practitioner is just such a useful thing that you can never put a price on having someone look at you and ask you questions about you, yourself and you for one hour only about your case uh, you know yeah. you just can't put a price on that yes and as I say we've actually said it with Dr Sinatra a couple of weeks ago um when we were talking it's also important to find someone that you gel with that you feel like is a real partner in crime for you and your health rather than like oh god I've got to go and see so and so you know if you're dreading going to see your practitioner you are with the wrong practitioner so find someone oh, that works with you definitely mm. definitely I, I say that to people all the time I, I mean you know as women we're not we're not tapping into our intuition enough and and I say that you know intuitively if you feel like you're a GP or you're a specialist I don't care what kind of credentials they have if they're not gelling with you and they're and intuitively it's not working find another one there's plenty of good ones out there but I just want to say oh Alex isn't that Dr. Stephen Sinatra amazing oh, I, I love, love him. him yeah he's my favorite <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he really is. Super. I, I had the good fortune to see him a couple of times speak in conference live. And I just love um, how he is so open about, you know, basically, I'm just reiterating what he's saying, but basically saying, you know, I was very much involved with people who were around the scare of fats. And here I am to tell you, and basically to eat humble pie, that fat is never going to make you fat. It's sugar that's caused all this inflammation and um, cardiovascular risk factors and things like that. And I'm very much a fan of his and I love his research. Mm, and I'm just a fan of anyone who can go with the times. You know, science mm. is never, okay, today, this is it. We know everything and nothing will ever change. It's simply not the case. And to think that we could so egotistically have everything worked out today done set in stone black and white it, it's just it's actually crazy and what I love about Stephen is not only that move from 
from fat being the bad guy to um, moving towards quality uh, good fats and reducing, um, reigning in your sugar, um, is also that he used to lecture for statin companies and, you know, (laughs) and actually started to take a closer look at the research, scratched his head, looking at his patients in his office, realising that you could have cholesterol through the roof or really low cholesterol and both have a heart attack, so what's up with that, you know, (laughs) then, you know, it's just really refreshing whenever you come across any health professional who is prepared to admit that the science evolves and as we learn new things it is important that we make judgment calls and adapt and take research into consideration each time it comes out which is um which is why I'm so passionate about the low tox space with products and cleaning products and what's in my mattress and all that kind of stuff because you know it's crazy what isn't discerned in those areas and it really is up to us to dig out the research papers ourselves and say um hello like this is fiddling with my hormones I don't think that's such a good idea yeah and Alex I think what you're doing in that area is is wonderful because uh, you know just as I talk about food and can how it can underpin our hormones and bring us back to balance um, all the things that you talk about in terms of our environment our household products so important has equal impact on our hormones Um, so I think I think just getting these conversations going in every household, we're winning. We're, we're just winning by just having people listen to these podcasts and have these conversations. Mm. Now, I don't want to leave talking about hormones without at least covering estrogen just a little bit more. Yes. Do you believe that the foods we eat really, I mean, in the research that you've looked at, some websites and, and thought leaders around uh, high estrogen and phytoestrogens in food um, will have us believe that, you know, even a sip of a soy latte could potentially give us breast cancer. Should we really be that worried or worried at all about um, the food we eat in relation to estrogen? What can we do to kind of not approach eating food with worry when, it, when estrogen is concerned? Mm, it's such a good question, Alex. I um, have recently been appointed Cure Cancer's nutritional ambassador and deeply, deeply passionate about that and learning lots because Cure Cancer is all about research. It's not about one cancer. So um, it was interesting speaking to um, one of the researchers there the other day. I was talking to them about breast cancer. And she said to me, Michelle, did you know now that less than 6% of breast cancer is actually genetically related? Mm. And I said, oh, I didn't realize the percentage was that low. And she said, Michelle, that means that 94% of breast cancer, and she said, I'm just talking about breast cancer now. She said, 94% is coming from other areas. And, you know, whether that is stress, lifestyle, environmental toxins, food, et cetera, pesticides, et cetera, et cetera. She said, you know, this is the, this is the area of research for us particularly. So, um, so we started to talk about estrogen dominant breast cancer, her and I, and about my role in nutrition and, and making people aware of what was going on in that space. So what we do know, Alex, is, well, first of all, what I believe in always 
is I believe in nothing extreme. I, uh, you know, often referred to as the modern day nutritionist, um, the one who really likes to live, likes a little bit of coffee and a little bit of wine, because I believe living in too tight of a box is just another stress and that will add to more disease. So, so let's just bring that back now just to the whole estrogen thing. What we do know from research, from the clinical research is yes, does um, the conventional meat on the market, can that add to estrogenic effects in our body? Yes, it can. Does some of the dairy that we're consuming and the growth hormones and things like that, can that have estrogenic effects on our body? Yes, it can. Ooh, can I can I just go, I'm jumping right in sure. because I just have this brilliant and very scary story to tell about yes. my gorgeous friend who lives in LA whose little girl was going to school and she sort of had a cuddle with her one afternoon and realized that she had B.O. and her little girl's five. And right. she was like, what is up with this? Like, this is weird. You know, she thought maybe she hadn't put on deodorant that morning. Anyway, so she's sort of, you know, mulls over it for a little bit, asks a couple of friends in the wellness space and comes to the point where she thinks, okay, I'm going to ask my little girl how much milk she drinks at school. Mm-hmm. Little girl drinks two cartons of milk a day, two full cartons, tiny little mm-hmm. person. Uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. I'm all for a piece of cheese on the weekend and a bit of milk in my coffee every now and then. But at the end of the day, cows <laughs> cow's milk is yes. for baby cows. So again, yes. again with the not being extreme, but um, but yes, it's certainly not like a go-to food for humans because that actually just doesn't make sense. And uh, um, I, I think your approach on that, Alex, is perfect. A little bit in your your tea or your coffee, a bit of cheese on the weekends, and and, and not too much. I, I mean, that is definitely the the way we would approach things around meat. Or dairy when we're not doing a specific plan like a like a hormonal rebalance mm. plan which is what we call hormone happiness to 28 day plan yeah or if I do a cleanse and we do you know 28 day but most of the time talking about okay so how do we navigate around these estrogenic things well perhaps we choose grass-fed beef now that's expensive but we all we you know we have to weigh up where we are in our health certainly if i had a highly estrogenic disease process like a estrogenic breast cancer or fibroids or polycystic ovary syndrome what we call estrogenic i would be going okay maybe i'm not going to have meat for six months or maybe i'm not going to have dairy but for for the mainstream person a little bit of it is not going to hurt us. No, absolutely. So the long and short of this story is she said, no, water only. Let's see if that helps. No more BO. Oh. Done. Finished with the wow. BO. And the wow. milk at the school had the human, the growth hormone, R- yes. RGH. What is the one that's in it? Yes, America? RGH. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the bovine hormone. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Scary yes. stuff. So, yeah. Really scary yeah. stuff. I mean, one of the things, you know, you know, as both you and I know, being Jamie Oliver, Food Revolution Day ambassadors, you know, how he's gotten milk, uh, flavored milk, out of the canteens of many schools in, in the America. Now he did that because of the sugar aspects, but we, but I also know, you know, definitely from a 
you know, what sheep milk that they are bringing into these canteens and what hormones and antibiotics have gone through those cows and how scary that is. Yeah. So wow, what an example. I know, right? Just for a little five-year-old, I would have been freaking out myself and just, you know, again, thank goodness she had the good sense to get curious, think outside the box and look at what was going in her little girl's mouth. Mm, mm. Now, when it comes to foods that are estrogenic, quite often it's about the rearing of the animal if we're eating animal products. Or when it comes to something like soy, what can you share with us around that? Because a lot of people are worried mm. about soy. Yeah. And there, you know, Alex, I, I tell you one thing that I found, <laughs> what I know about research is if you are looking for an area of research, there's research on pros and cons of most things. Yes. It's just about, you know, what kind of clinical base and who has done the research. But here's my thoughts on soy. Certainly anybody that has any, even a sluggish thyroid, a subclinical thyroid, not necessarily full, full blood blown graves or full-blown Hashimoto's, which is the thyroid antibodies and autoimmune condition. Anybody that has anything to do with thyroid, stay, stay clear of soy. We know that it inhibits certain what we call isothiocyanines and functioning of the thyroid. So that's one area we just park soy, not, nothing to do with anybody that has a thyroid condition. Now, when we are consuming soy, definitely be picking up GMO free soy. So my daughters love tofu. And I say, that's fine. You can have tofu, you know, once a week, it's great. Make me stir fry and make me some too. And, uh, but make sure that it's um, GMO free and it's organic. Yeah. Um, they don't have thyroid conditions. They don't have any kind of things. Um, if people are going to be having soy milk as well, I also say the same thing. Make sure it's GMO free, make sure that it's organic. And a lot lot of soy milk, mind you, has a lot of hidden things in it as well. So just being really aware of that. Um, if you have estrogenic conditions, again, like fibroids, like polycystic ovary syndrome, like cystic breasts, um, I would be staying clear of those, those that type of soy. You know, we can get phytoestrogens from things like chickpeas, from legumes, from linseeds, from flaxseeds. And those are great kinds of soys to be having in our body where some more of the conventional soy, as you know, Alex, we don't know what it's being sprayed with. We don't know if it's GMO. And, you know, the more the government starts to put regulations on these things that all these labels must be labeled properly, the better off everyone will be. Oh, absolutely. Mm. I still can't believe that labeling is even an issue. And of course, it's an issue because of lobby reasons. And, and, you know, there are certain people who would prefer for people not to know what the source of their food is <laughs> or how it's grown. Uh, but I just think it's everyone's basic right to not be treated as a science experiment if we don't want to be one, you know, there's just yeah. not enough testing. Yeah. i tell you what I've seen recently though, Alex, lately, and I agree with you hundred percent, full disclosure, put it on the label, tell us what we're eating. But, uh, you know, as much as all this, you know, a lot of this Franken food going on, 
I have had recently, and this is not something I had anticipated doing in my practice at all, but I've had big food companies coming to me and saying, Michelle, we are interested in rolling out some food lines next year, and we're looking at how do we make them healthier? What are the trends? What could we be doing? So so I'm only saying this because I know there's so much craziness going on in the area of food manufacturing, but I have to say people like Ingham Chickens, people like um, Woolies, uh, Goodman Fielder, they've come to us to start doing some consulting. And what that says to me is whilst we know they're not going to be perfect, they've got it on their radar that they have to start disclosing and stepping up. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you don't get companies like Campbell's making a non-GMO commitment without it being a grassroots movement for people demanding to have greater visibility of what's in their food. It's just simply completely driven by us and our curiosities. So to think that you Mm. might never think one person can make a difference, well, when we all band together and say, hey, I want to know what's in my food. Uh, then you can bet that they'll listen because people will not be successful businesses if they have no one to buy their stuff. That's pretty, pretty basic. <laughs> for sure, for sure. It, so, and, and, and everybody listening to this podcast, this is the great thing that you're doing, Alex, is you're creating this groundswell, giving out the information and what I say often to audiences is, you know, now you're armed and dangerous. You've got some information. You've got some power. Vote with your fork. Vote when you're at the supermarket. You know, we're, we're the ones that are going to create that whole groundswell. And then the manufacturers need to listen. Absolutely. And what beautiful, powerful closing words. Um, do you have anything you might want to share with us just as we wrap up on uh, on hormones, on where someone might uh start on like what's the most important change that you think we can all make for the health of our hormones if you had to pick one I think oh the number one thing would just be going back to eating really clean food whole food most of the time we if we're eating things Alex that are not out of a package or been processed we're winning I like people to consider doing that, you know, for a time period. I know it's not realistic that it's going to happen all the time, but to rebalance those hormones, to come back to clean, highly nutritious food, this will help start recalibrating the hormones. And then, um, you know, then we can do other things and tweak them along the way. And, you know, what I call the hormone happiness plan, but just coming back to real clean whole food. And it doesn't even have to be organic Alex. Sometimes just coming back to real whole food can be the first step for somebody to go, Ooh, I like the way this feels. I like the way I'm feeling. And then we as practitioners or facilitators, educators like yourself, we can take them then to the next level. We see there's so many layers of good health, right? Absolutely. And if there is anyone out there, only because I'm such an organic champion for the cause, if there is anyone out there thinking, okay, well, I've been doing clean whole food. What is my next step? I really would like to be able to incorporate more organics I love to say just look at the five things you eat the most regularly and just Mm -hmm. change those just start there because that's a wonderful point it's just it's going to be quite a good dent of volume in your your weekly shop and uh and it's not quite so overwhelming as thinking 
simply with a blanket statement, I need to go organic, you know, and that that can be a bit scary. So that is an excellent point, Alex. Excellent point. Look, thank you so much for being on the show. We have covered so many hormones. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, I'm so pleased. Thanks for having me, Alex. I really loved it. It was really great. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much for joining me for today's show. Check out the show notes at lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast. And if you wanted to maybe share a quote and something that really jumped out for you, you can find us on Instagram at lowtoxlife or simply hashtag lowtoxlife across social media. I absolutely love bringing you the show. Thank you for any of the star ratings or one-line reviews that you guys have left. It helps me know what you've been loving and what you'd love to see more of. I'll see you next week.